0: The uh, subject for the evening talk is High and uh, Depth. Last uh, spring uh, time, I was giving a talk at the Cambridge Insight Meditation uh, Center in uh, Massachusetts and general theme of uh, awakening in life. And while uh, giving the talk, I um, made a, a single uh, one-line uh, comment. And I said, um, nobody ever got to the end of their life. Though I asked a question, did anybody ever get to the end of their life wishing that they had spent more time in the office? <laughs> and and one person who was on the retreat last week with uh, Shadra and I uh, said that this uh, one-line uh, question um, struck home rather strongly and uh, deeply. And he said to me that the outcome of it was that, of course, In various ways, that particular question had arisen regularly in his uh, day-to-day life. But it struck him in a suitable time in his life, a suitable point of uh, receptivity, that he realized that real reflection and consideration to his life was uh, vital and uh, necessary. And the outcome of that was a genuine re-examination of what the real priorities were in his life and steps were being made. One of those steps, in fact, was uh, giving more time for meditation, contemplation, contact with the nature, contact with his uh, children and so forth. I just use this as an example of small but important demonstration of what, when we're speaking of uh, awakening, In any kind of uh, language, it can't be theoretical and metaphysical, but have a genuine and authentic relationship to our day-to-day circumstances. Sometimes when we look at our life and the flow of our day-to-day life, it's important too to be aware of the kind of stimulations which uh, come to us. And sometimes, perhaps a little oversimplifying here, but sometimes in looking at our life, we see the expressions of stimulations to give us a feeling of being high, to uplift us, to stimulate, to generate particular kind of uh, uh, feelings. And we've become a, a culture which has seems to have engaged in two things very considerably with the highs. Uh, one is finding ways to impact upon our sense stores, to excite, to stimulate, to uh, entertain, and the other, in the midst of all of that, as it were, to give us a huge proliferation of choices. And so the world and the environment of extensive choices, along with stimulation and getting uh, highs becomes a kind of compensation for the hardness of life, for having to go from one day to the next, working, busyness, doing activities or whatever. So we live in an environment and a culture, generating some highs for us through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, uh, touch, and with that a world of proliferation of choices to go along with that. And perhaps it's important to, for us to be aware of the consequences and the impact, not on, only on emotional and psychological life, but also on consciousness, what it does to consciousness. And rather unfortunately, all too often and easily, highs stimulate lows. Highs and lows going together. And once any addiction to highs come in, then of course it's a very strong and determined and perhaps unwilling invitation to the low to come in with it as well. And people's difficulties in life with mood swings, difficulties with alcohol, difficulties with uh, recreational drugs, difficulties, with wanting more and more stimulation, to somehow try to compensate, to overcome, to get away from lows. And the world of highs and lows in the various forms becomes almost a, a norm for consciousness, a, a norm for the circumstances of, of living. And even if we are relatively successful in having frequencies, of of highs, and sometimes, even in, in amidst the very uh, uh, energy of of it all, sometimes we sense there's dissatisfaction. Sense there's something actually unfulfilling about it. Just today, I was. Uh, uh, down downstairs looking at one of your uh, local newspapers san francisco uh, chronicle you haven't missed anything during today incidentally <laughs> and um and on the uh, front page was uh, a fellow countryman of mine um Mick Jagger <laughs> and many years ago i used to be in another lifetime I, this is uh, Thirty odd years ago, I used to be um, a newspaper reporter, and uh, I remember I interviewed Mick Jagger, in, uh, when he was—he uh, and I were both uh, young men, and he, and I about the same age, from the same um, uh, area as well. And there he's on the front page with Keith Richard and Charlie Watt and the uh, whatever the other guy's name is. And, and they're just about to start yet another world tour. <laughs> In a, I mean, like the rest of us of that generation, we're qualifying for the old people's home, and, and, and I thought, what's this Mick Jagger thinking?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, what sort of mind is it that would, after, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's very uh, lovable, lovable, I think he's married to one of your country women, and uh, but what sort of mind is it that still wants to be jumping around on the stage, <laughs> singing um, "Jumping Jack Flash" and 19th Nervous Breakdown," and and it must feel a little bit worn
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> with it with it all, you know, and and some, and young people as well as uh, his. Uh, his peers giving attendance to and all that it means in going a- around. But presumably for uh, 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 Mick, I can't imagine Keith Richard ever getting any pleasure out of anything, but the, but <laughs> the, the jumping around, something, the eye gets some kind of high out of it, the attention and uh, the uh, mass numbers of people who uh, 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 watch him doing his routine, etc., and I just use it, I don't want to make a comment on Mick Jagger, well, not little one anyway. Um, but just use it how sometimes with highs in life that there is some kind of uh, energizing and adrenaline rush and uh, uh, kind of upliftment in a certain kind of way of uh, uh, consciousness. But in the upliftment, it, of course, what goes up obviously comes down. What does it come down to? What does it come down to? Sometimes it comes down to boredom, sometimes unrest, sometimes dissatisfaction, sometimes loneliness, sometimes feeling underfed, undernourished, underattended to or whatever. That's what it can potentially come down to. Not being able to face that, not being able to explore or work with that, the escape is the high. Surely, uh, We look at our life and attend to our life and we ask ourselves honestly and directly, is there, in fact, any kind of uh, alternative to that? And I think it's not surprising, therefore, that if we're caught up in that world and there's a lack of real inner depth in in our life, we may not know of much else. And we may think the world is Exclusively uh, uh, for that, and sometimes we can get high on the, a new thing. Yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, Sharda and I were uh, on the uh, on the flight, and uh, with all the usual um, uh, meals and that being uh, provided uh, uh, for us, I wouldn't recommend United Airlines for its food. Sometimes one's not sure whether there's a difference between the plastic and what's underneath it. But anyway, <laughs> and, and I turned to uh, Chandra and I, th- I said, Oh, nice uh, coffee. And, um, and she said, yes, it's very, very popular. I think it was called like Star Trek or something. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> what, was it? what was the name of it? Starbuck. Oh, Starbuck. Sorry. <laughs> What's, what's Star Trek? TV oh, so apparently Star Trek is a TV programme. <laughs> it's about. Fly, it's about. We weren't flying that high anyway.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's situations in our life where. I have another very good high story. I have to squeeze this one out, then i get to a little bit more uh, 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 depth. But, somet- <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes there's this... I, I just get this... I have to get this story out because I heard it IMS. You may have all heard this story, but it's too... <laughs> it's just too... it's a too much story. And um, um, some, sometimes in life, one's life going along just in the flow of, of, of things, nothing ordinary, nothing special, then out of the mind comes, I think this is where we need to attend to, a kind of impulsiveness comes, and an impulsiveness to do something different. And in that impulsiveness, there may be very little awareness, very little uh, uh, seeing what the effects and the consequences uh, are, but it's a kind of shift from uh, the known and and the familiar. And we can confuse, on a serious point here, we can confuse spontaneity, which is a different order altogether, between that and impulsiveness. And in this case, this was clearly it was um, in uh, Los Angeles, where else, a very impulsive uh, gesture. And I read a report of it uh, when we were at the centre on the east coast, and apparently. The uh, story was of a man named uh, Larry sitting in his back garden one day. Uh, decided he would like to have a more of an overview of his back garden. He went to the Army and Navy Stores to to buy uh, 25 helium balloons and the whatever you, helium you put in, and then took his chair in the back garden, tied it, <laughs> no, tied it with rope to. Uh, Uh, his jeep, pumped up the balloons and sat in his chair and decided that he would float up 30 feet to have an overview of the garden. (laughs) And he'd puncture the balloons and that would gradually lower him down to back down to uh, the ground uh, uh, level again. So he sat in the chair, he cut the, the rope Uh, which was holding him down to his uh, uh, jeep and and instead of lazily floating up to 30 feet, he floated up to 11,000 feet. (laughs) Imagine the the feelings and sensations. (laughs)
1: It's
0: a true story, he's floating up there 14 hours. (laughs) And while floating (laughs) across the sky, a Continental Airlines plane coming into Los Angeles International Airport spots this guy. (laughs) sitting in the chair <laughs> floating towards the airport so he sends a miss message down to air traffic control saying that there's a guy in a chair <laughs> So he floats straight across L.A. airport and straight out to sea (laughs) with helicopters in hot pursuit (laughs) and eventually they rescue him. And when when they bring him back down to L.A., the police are waiting there and arrest him for violating L.A. airspace. (laughs) <laughs> this is a, a good example of what happens when people really get too high and just take off. So, from impulsiveness, there, an idea comes, one fastens on the idea, one has no space around it, one's fixed of it, seems a good idea at, at uh, the time, but it lacks, you know, uh, Awareness risk to oneself, risk and danger in this case to to others, and fortunately this had a a safe and amusing uh, outcome uh, to it all. But I think somewhere in all of that is a, a lesson for all of us in terms of everyday ordinary mind, what runs through it, what happens if we grasp onto it, and there's a lack of awareness and impulsiveness outcome, as I say, can be. work out well, okay, could work out with great risk or, or whatever whereas spontaneity carries with it natural awareness natural recognition no guarantee of outcome obviously but na- that kind of awareness and income which is uh, creative and expansive and um, not bringing that kind of um, foolishness, foolhardiness that can occur, occur in our life. But all of that, and in many other spirits of adventure and all the wonderful ways that that can can arise, as I say, can bring uh, a movement and a high in various, various ways. And we see through the countless ways people endeavour to have that, which is their right, and not to undermine it. But is that all? Is our life just kind of trucking along from one day to the next? with those forms of uh, lovely and innocent highs, those forms of addictive uh, ones, those forms of a danger- dangerous ones, or is it also that spirituality and its diversity as well can keep offering another kind of high to have through various ways and means of stimulating consciousness. It could be at the expense of depth. Dharma teachings are not concerned with highs, that's concerned with depth. It's another way in which joy and happiness begins, not through a lightness of highness, but through a groundedness in cellular life, begins to show itself. And therefore, as it were, it's in stark and distinctive contrast from highs and ordinariness. It's, as it were, the other direction altogether. That's why we sit. That's why we walk. That's why we stand. That's why we bring great awareness to the immediate of things because in depth we can discover that which hides an everyday mind can't know nor have access to. And of course, sometimes our own culture has made a lot of confusion over this. and Thinking of uh, 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 drugs, uh, recreational drugs, or spiritual use of them. <coughs> I'm not sh- quite sure how much they ever did for genuine transformation. I think it, we have to look in uh, other ways, natural resources for transformations which genuinely sustain themselves. Of course, there are benefits that people have had from that uh, uh, culture, but as you and I know only too well, look at the huge numbers of people who have suffered and continue to suffer through uh, abuse and misunderstanding in uh, so many areas. So I look at my life, look at the, my everyday mind, my ordinary mind, as it goes from one day to the next. I look at the highs of life and acknowledge and take a good note of those. But I say, well, there's, if there is more of life, and if I'm going to have some depth in my life and find that, It will need some sacrifice from me. It it won't just come easily and naturally in terms of something I deserve. It's something that we commit to and we connect with and begin to get a sweetness of the taste for that. We get a feeling for all of that. Then uh, it begins to come rather from, initially from effort and then perhaps into a more effortless kind of mode. Not easy, never easy. But in the response to coming to uh, uh, deep, some of you here, uh, as elsewhere and as one person was uh, reporting in the small group uh, today, that sometimes we begin to touch deep, but then easily and rather too quickly, as it were, stimulations of association, this is important now, stimulations of association begin to come in and we can find ourselves, slowly or quickly, kind of drifting towards a kind of psychological, therapeutic way of perceiving. We start to, as it were, get into our stuff. It can be an indication of going deeper. It certainly shouldn't be undermined in any way whatsoever. But sometimes in the self, in its constricted, Mode, and it's so often a constricted mode, that the self begins to gravitate towards its old way of thinking what's deep. Thinking what's deep is touching childhood issues. Thinking what's deep is unresolved personal problems. Thinking what's deep is going into the storyline or whatever. And there can be a pull through tendency, through history through the potency of what's going on to move exclusively and narrowly in that way. If it happens because it happens, fair enough, then one attends to that. And we find ways and means to work with that, both uh, our meditation practices, small groups, one-to-ones, inquiry, evening talks, etc. We acknowledge that. but. What I'm putting out and generating as well as I can, to be vigilant about the tendency to intentionally try to get into some personal story and therefore viewing rather exclusively a strictly uh, therapeutic way of resolving things. There are other ways of resolving through depth which doesn't require memory. It doesn't require association. It doesn't require getting into the storyline. It doesn't require addressing the pictures and the images and the feelings and the thoughts around a drama of life, past or present. There are other ways of going very, very deep without any of that. Not easy, admittedly. Without any of that and beautifully, significantly resolves it. Sometimes we have a view, this is a cultural view here, it's a particular view, that the resolution of issues of life, of problems of life, I- are resolved, are cured, are ended, dissolved exclusively and narrowly by almost attacking it, by getting into it, by addressing it in terms of content, pictures, memories and stories. But we can forget that what we attend to carries the attender to. What the attender to carries goes straight into it. It's not like we're the cool, clear, spacious, mirror There, who looks at issues and problems and hurts and wounds and angers and looks at it and yes, going to look right into that and see through that, etc. It can happen, but we forget that the attender to the observer of the watcher of the look, the one who looks at isn't pure, empty, spacious. It's carrying its own baggage. And what happens is that there can be easily a fusion of the two. And therefore there's a mixture of watcher and watched, witness and witnessed, observer and observed, seer and the seen, experiencer and the experience. And thus we can get kind of complicated into that. Can, it's not easy, but can we have here for enough uh, vigilance in which we don't feed any of that, not easy, don't feed any of that, keep faith with the process of the meditation and see whether through that we can go deeper with a quiet resolution, I am not going to feed stories. I'm not going to feed them. I'm not going to use that as, as uh, reference points. Sometimes, in the depth of that kind of acknowledgement, the thought may arise. Well, if I don't let it all hang up, hang out, come in, come up, whatever the metaphors we are using, then I'll, it'll be suppression. I'll be trying to cut it off. I'll be denying what I really want to feel. I won't be allowing it to happen. It will be unnatural or whatever. And those thoughts do arise. Of course they do arise. But if something of itself naturally is uh, unfolding and releasing itself, it will unfold and it will release itself. and. We should never give too much authority, I would say, to the power of the self to stop what arises from arising. Never to give too much power to the self to imagine it can stop arising what's going to arise. Self doesn't have that much power. In fact, it's pathetically little. And therefore we say, can we just bring enough awareness keeping faith with the processes of the meditation, keeping faith with the potential to go deeper uh, with it, not feeding the story uh, lines and seeing what unfolds through that. Still, as I say, to to repeat myself a second or third time here, yes, if something really is coming through, does need attending to, yes, of course, therefore we attend uh, to, and that's, must be respected and acknowledged uh, here. Might be for the uh, first, uh, for those of you here for the first di- first time here, yeah. that all of this will seem a little uh, uh, strange and uh, unusual for you. In uh, count the ways that it uh, that it can be, and. In the very process of things, of actually uh, being in a, a situation uh, like, like this, of course, numerous thoughts may um, arise and those thoughts can spin endlessly. They can spin around and about the other people, some curiosity, what's going on here. Uh, uh, thoughts can spin out of one's mind with regard to oneself. Uh, with wondering what it might be like tomorrow, or the day after, or the day after, or what one will do at the end of the retreat, or gosh, it's one day down, thank God, just another four and a half or whatever it is to to go, and then the great liberation. And so all of these thoughts can be uh, manifesting, obviously, uh, through through the mind in uh, different ways. But what's going on with us? when, with the thoughts which are arising and the diversity of them, who is the one who's giving more authority to some thoughts than the other? What's going on when we're just sitting and innocently watching our breath or attending to the moment, walking up and down or doing a little standing meditation? And then lots and lots of thoughts come in. In one appalling television advertisement in uh, uh, Britain by uh, Peugeot Cars, incidentally, the guy is driving through the streets of uh, Paris or London or some other instantly forgettable city and having a fantasy about saving the world. In one fantasy, he's picking up a child who's about to be run over by a truck, and another is in the war zone rescuing people. And then he gets out of his car at the end, outside the office. And then up, and there's playing music of M people, of find the hero inside of yourself. And then up comes the thing about Pujo car. And then it says, the average person has 13,168 thoughts per day. Well, I don't know who's been <laughs> counting, counting them so precisely. I can't imagine it was the guys in the advertising agency. And then out of those thoughts, some of them were about Peugeot cars. Uh, whatever, please try not to spend the rest of your retreat contemplating that car. And the thoughts arise, but what is it out of the whole myriad number of thoughts and all the diversity on them of them that some are picked out, highlighted, accentuated, built up and made much of and others just run through and dance in and out of existence and have no relevance? Who's choosing? Who's the selector? Who's saying this thought matters more than this thought? But when you and I are thoroughly identified with certain thoughts and not so identified with uh, other thoughts, we'll hardly know what the source of thoughts are because it's strong identification with some, less with others, none with others, and we move in this world And we may never have come to enough depth in our life to say, well, who the hell is it that's generating these thoughts which matter, don't matter, really matter, incredibly important and utterly trivial. Who's deciding all of this? If we don't have any depth, we'll never know. We'll never know. And when we never know, we say, I. I think, I decide, I choose, I know, I count, or whatever. When we haven't got a clue through lack of depth, we use I. That's what human beings do. But supposing we're a little bit more humble, and a little bit more innocent, and a little bit more conscious, with a little bit more depth, maybe we will say, actually, I don't know from where all this springs. I'm not going to say it springs from me. I'm not going to say, I created my own thoughts, I choose what I think. I'm not going to say that anymore. I've been saying it for so long and so frequently that hopefully whoever the I is has a little doubt about the validity of I creating all my thinking, I choosing what I think about, I choosing what I identify with and what I accept and what I don't accept. I'm not going to use I in that way. Therefore, I'll say, I don't know. I doesn't know. I hasn't got a clue. I is going nowhere. I am stuck. And if we can allow ourselves, our I, to recognize that which requires some humility, maybe we'll go deep. Maybe. So, looking at the movement of our life, outer to inner, high to ordinary to, to deep, one contribution to greater uh, depth, of course, is the process of meditation. That's what it's concerned with. And the actuality is, it happens in in spite of ourself. In spite of ourself. I remember years ago, Shadra and I in Buddhagaya, we gave a retreat and one person on the retreat, whatever, a hundred and whatever it was on the retreat, but one person on the retreat was from Eastern Europe, I think she was from Poland, didn't speak a word of English, not a word, and there was not one person on the retreat who could speak Polish. But he wanted to be on the retreat, couldn't read the instructions, couldn't understand the instructions, couldn't follow the evening talk, didn't know what the word next to the timetable meant. person who comes straight out of Poland didn't know a word, straight into India, the doors had opened, she was out of Poland like a rocket. Okay. I haven't been to Poland, no comment. And finds herself in India, finds herself in Budh finds herself in the, in the retreat. So, when people were sitting, she sat, people were doing walking meditation, oh, walking slowly, walking, walking, walking slowly, just sat there quietly in the uh, evening talk, in the inquiry period, or whatever it, whatever it was. And we couldn't do any interviews with her, or whatever. She just did what she was doing, what we were all doing, etc., and just using her eyes as the, as the reference point. It was perfectly apparent as the days were going by, one could sense it for the person. Depth was taking place. Come the end of the retreat, she came, and huge bear hug, wonderful. Appreciation and presence and, and depth. Why? Naturally, just by sitting and being still, one sits and is still. Depth will come. Why? The mind's got nowhere else to go. Can't go high. How many people get really high sitting? happens, but ordinary mind starts to give up on itself. Depth begins to come just through the stillness of being. Depth begins to come by walking sensitively and respectfully, one step at a time, on this earth, and depth begins to come. That might mean moving through some difficult areas, but it doesn't always mean that. Going deep for some is marvelously and a uh, great credit to human beings when depth can come and there's no obstruction, no stuff, no problem, no matter what the mind thinks there should be arising, no matter what the expectations are when people arrive and say, I'm going to have so much stuff to work out during this week, so many issues in my life going on, it's going to be a... Hell realm, 24 hours a day, and if the person in the next bed is snoring, that would be the last straw. (laughs) So all this goes uh, uh, on in the mind, but just the expectations and the anticipations doesn't mean anything in life. Expectation doesn't mean guarantee. And so, sometimes one touches on things and difficult and one works with those. Sometimes, as I say, it's now and then, sometimes it's hitting the wall, as some have known, and sometimes it's a natural deepening which is taking place. In the natural deepening which takes place. Deepening with regard to what? Deepening for what? One will have to see the exploration and the meditations to see what the sensitivities are in the being, in our stillness. What the world, what life can't reveal to us through doing, doing, doing. What thinking, thinking, thinking can't get access to. What roles and identities and having and owning and pursuing can't reveal, maybe stillness can. And maybe, through the silence and the stillness, something far more fulfilling can ever come than access to the transitory, which is things, items, roles, career, personal existence. Maybe, with the depth, access can come to that which is not transitory. I mentioned yesterday evening that uh, in uh, the Dzogchen tradition, sister uh, tradition of uh, uh, Vipassana, and one of two friends um, speaking to me uh, um, about it, and I think it's some good skillfulness by the uh, Rinpoche, by the uh, 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 Dzogchen teacher, that sometimes in the um, meditations, one can kind of get a little bit um, uh, stuck, or a little bit entranced, or a little bit um, uh, g- uh, complacent, uh, kind of uh, frame or mindset of um, kind of bit gluey and stuck together, kind of feeling not going anywhere. Things, things like that. And sometimes some people uh, do, and in this tradition as well, just find it beneficial in those moments to shake that off, to uh, uh, open the eyes. To uh, represent oneself in a rather firm and uh, clear way, so that one isn't kind of almost kind of slumping along, so to speak, or just kind of blandly sitting and blandly walking, which can happen. And if that does happen, then it can be useful just to shake it loose a little, little bit, so one isn't just getting a little bit fogged in, uh, so to speak. And therefore, we do need to uh, catch ourselves in order to see as well and as clearly as we possibly can what's going on right here, right now. What's going on right here, right now. Some where there is a presence and natural depth and a sense of uh, natural depth, as again one person in the, uh, one of the small groups was uh, speaking uh, today, there is a real enlivening and awakening inside of oneself of a genuine interest with regard to the fulfillment of all of these things, which is liberation. And when the, there is a sense of well-being, a sense of well-being, it's almost in the sense of well-being as it were, we cannot forget ourself, as it were. A sense of well-being, not so preoccupied with what goes on from uh, head to toes. And there can be, and there is the potential for, a sense and a re- receptivity about the nature of what liberation really is. And therefore, it isn't something vague, abstract, uh, theoretical, Far removed from day-to-day life, it is something very immediate and very uh, accessible. And in various ways, as much as skillfully we can, we keep pointing to great liberation which effortlessly and easily embraces and accommodates the event called life, the event called my existence, the event called myself, my personality or whatever uh, language we might uh, might uh, describe all of all of that is uh, when there's a presence and therefore a certain uh, depth and it's important finally in depth that some of you have over the years and particularly I have in mind here those of you who have a lot of exposure to uh, uh, teachings and hardcore practices there are people in here who have Done long term retreats. People here who have uh, been uh, elsewhere have been in uh, monasteries and uh, ashrams and uh, retreat personal retreats, etc. etc. All of that diversity, and sometimes in some of the teachings, including here, there can be, as it were, a certain kind of intensity, and that intensity can be appropriate, and be Im- Im- important. But, there are, for some people, a confusion. It's a noticeable one in the Vipassanara circles, in Zen tradition uh, as well, I notice. And that is, that if there is attachment and identification with intensity, rather than with clarity, with intensity, one of the outcomes of that is, one can keep having the feeling, I'm not deep enough. And one, therefore, I sh- should be more intense. And with more intensity, I'm pushing myself harder, I will go deeper. Not necessarily, one might just put pressure on the mind. One might create stronger feelings of intensity and confuse intensity with going deeper. It's a natural process. It's a natural way of being that it happens uh, in that way. Our commitment to that is silence. Our commitment to that is to awareness with the posture, to presence here and now, to a feeling of being alert as possible, and. In